We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing Web3 Gaming. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, so all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Sash McKinnon. He's the CEO and co-founder of Mino Games. The indie game development studio has released the popular games, Cat Game and Dog Game, with each of them generating tens of millions in revenue in their lifetimes and with over 60 million total downloads to date. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So to start, let's talk about your past gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you get involved in the video game business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I've been making and playing games since like basically as, as early as I can remember. My first console and the first game that I really, really got into was Yoshi's Island. I just adored that game. And I, I remember actually there's a very very important moment in my life. I was on world two, level two, and there was this little kind of, so you'd throw an egg and it would bounce around, um, collect all these coins. And it was kind of a little secret. And I remember being, I think a six year old at the time and just being like, how did they do that? And like, how did they make that secret? And then I remember thinking, well, how did they do any of this actually? And at first, I thought, I didn't realize programming existed, right? So at first, I thought they had drawn every single level. I was like, I have to get really good at drawing. So <laughs> I went to comic book classes, and I started drawing every day. And I'd draw these like huge video game levels, mostly Yoshi's Island, um, just because I wanted to start making games. And eventually, I figured out you needed to program, and you know, there were better ways of doing it. And I, so I started making games in PowerPoint and Paint. Uh, when I was like seven or something like that. And then I started programming when I was, I think I was 11. I saw my first game I made early in high school, probably was 12. That one was fun. It was a flash game called Pixel Pop. And it was kind of like a little it's a local multiplayer game of tag. And as you're getting tagged, you get bigger, but then the turns swap. So it, until someone gets too big and explodes, it's like very tense. And that game was... That, that was my first like proper game that I shipped and I put it on the computers at, at the school at the time. And I walked into the computer lab one day and there was like 20 uh, grade seven kids playing it. And I, I was like, what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we found this awesome game. We're like playing a tournament. Um, and I think that was the first time that I 
that I've really seen something that I'd built being played by people and having like, they were having a ton of fun. And that, that just really stuck with me. And I kind of decided at that point, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I'm, all I'm going to do is make games. That's so, amazing. So yeah. one of those watershed moments that early on. Yeah, exactly. It was really a, a special time. Both those memories really stood out to me. Amazing. So let's talk about Mino Games and why was it formed and, you know, what are some of the games you're working on and, you know, how'd you kind of transition from, you know, creating Flash games to, you know, the large projects you're working on now? Yeah, it was actually a pretty gradual transition. So when I was eight, I, I, I got Pokemon, like a lot of eight-year-olds at the time. And I loved it. And so I probably spent the better part of the next decade playing Pokemon every day. <laughs> I got like I did tournaments, I did, I was a trading card, uh, city champion. Um, I was really, really into it, you know? And, and so that basically from that time, I was like, I want to make a, I want to make something like Pokemon. Um, and the, the next step really was in, at the end of high school, I, I started a flash game company and that's when I started actually making money. I'd build these flash games, sometimes in a weekend, sometimes over six months, and I'd sell them to like companies like Armor Games and Congregate. Probably people remember that period where there was like fancy. So, pants are any games that we know moves. that you would have made? Probably not. I've never, I've never met someone who played one of my flash games. I made these like I made a platformer called Mister Runner, which was like all about speed running. Um, that one did pretty well. I had a game called Chaos Invaders, which was kind of like Space Invaders, but like really insane and over the top um a lot of i did like a bunch of game jams some of those went viral so it's a lot of like small little projects nothing that i think people would remember amazing so let's kind of talk about what you guys are working on now i know recently you closed a large investment to kind of create a game so tell us about this and i, I also saw a recent article about dimensional so yeah. that's what you guys are working on now Not my favorite topic <laughs> so yeah minor games was started with the vision of building the next huge gaming franchise you know it's, it's no secret that we were really inspired by pokemon um and when minor games was started was around the time the industry was moving towards mobile the app store had just opened up in-app purchases had just opened up and there were hundreds of millions of people starting to play games on their phone. And so, and around the time Nintendo said that they weren't going to touch mobile because uh, they wanted to focus on their consoles. So uh, Josh Buckley, my co-founder and I, uh, we started this company, Mino Games. And our first game was Mino Monsters, which was basically uh, Pokemon for the iPhone before Pokemon. And the vision has always been to go beyond gaming and to build a huge franchise with toys and TV and movies and cards and merchandise, you know, you know a whole IP brand. Exactly. Exactly. Cause that is the best business, right? Like that business is one that's perennial. If you look at Pokemon or Marvel or yeah, they make any a billion these, dollars a year of licensing. Exactly. Pokemon's made over a hundred billion dollars 80 billion of which were licensing uh, and, and merchandise. And, um, and and the thing is, they don't market anymore. Scarlet and Violet comes out, most successful Pokemon game. 
their marketing was leaking the starters, you know? So that's, that's a very, very different business to most gaming. Most gaming, you make a game and then you have to spend tens of millions of dollars advertising it at a very small margin. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a hard business. So that's, that was the aspiration. And we got, we, we didn't quite get there with Mino Monsters 1 and 2. We did well. You know, we made tens of millions in revenue, but we didn't hit that escape velocity, that, you know, that billion dollars. Um, and because of that, we didn't, we, we had invested a little bit into sort of the peripheral media and merchandise, but not a lot. And so then Cat Game and Dog Game were uh, very, very similar in terms of thesis. The mobile gaming market had changed a lot over the five years that we'd run Minor Monsters 1 and 2. Advertising became really expensive. You know, things got very difficult. It's extremely competitive. And we and Pokemon Go had come out as well. And so we updated our thesis to be a bit more broad than Pokemon. We still wanted to make these games where you collected characters because characters are at the heart of these huge franchises, right? That's the right, one That's why I that love Marble Snap them. right now. Exactly. Because, and that's the beautiful thing. It's like you fall in love with these characters and then you see them everywhere. Seeing, uh, you know, Marvel characters in a movie on Disney Plus and then also in a game and then in your posters and toys and stuff, that's, that's the magic. And that's what Pokemon nailed. So, yeah, we, we were like, well, we're still doing characters. We know that. And we're, we're still doing a franchise where there's going to be a lot of them. And this time we're going to do cats. We'd, uh, <laughs> we'd done some market research and also I just kind of had a hunch. And crypto kitties, and, right? Yeah. I, actually, cat game came out a little bit before crypto kitties. I, I had a conversation with, uh, with Rohan when I was raising the round. He's a founder of Dapper Labs and built crypto kitties. And we were joking, like between him and I, we have made the most money selling cats on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Cat Game came out and did very well. And again, you're collecting these characters. There's 2,000 cats in Cat Game at this point, um, which is a lot. And it's all hand-drawn TV animators. We have an art team of over 40 people at Minor Monsters right now. We take that aspect of things incredibly seriously. Um, and it worked. You know, we launched Cat Game into a market where there was almost nothing succeeding we launched this new game that was unlike anything on the market. And uh, in our first month, you know, we generated 2 million in revenue um, and it's grown consistently from then. When we launched Cat Game, we were a team of, I think just 10 people. Um, now we're a team of a hundred. So Cat Game really formed the backbone of growth of Mino. And we ran that and grew the company for a couple of years, you know, we, we launched um, in in uh, twenty nineteen, and then uh, and then scaled up quite rapidly, and then coming full circle into crypto and dimensionals, uh, and and how we got into Web three. So we saw uh, Axie Infinity just absolutely exploding, generating a lot of buzz, um, and having been in the web two free to play space, you know, you, you learn to pay a lot of attention to 
how systems and these economies are designed. And so a lot of my friends and I, a lot of my fellow Web2 founders are looking at this being like, this is going to blow up, but wow, it's interesting. And, uh, and so at that point, we decided this is actually going to be the next thing. Like uh, Web3 and being able to have like meaningful ownership is going to open up, this technology is going to open up new mechanics and new business models in gaming that just no one's ever even seen. And I think to this, even to this day, people really don't know how spectacularly it's going to change things. And it was so perfect for us, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you think about our company's DNA, it's all about characters and content. Uh, that's how we've made our money. That's how we've grown. And now there's this technology that's opened up, which is all about characters and content. That's what the PFP crazes were. This is what Axie was. And so we're just sitting there like, oh my God, this is, this, this is the opportunity that we started Minor Monsters for. Mobile gaming was actually sort of the red herring here, right? It was, we were directionally right to take a new technology and try to launch a franchise off the back of that new technology. Um, but we, we missed, missed the boat a little bit. And also the technology wasn't like the most perfect technology for this. And now with this, we're like, okay, <laughs> this is our, this is our chance to really knock it out of the park this time. So yeah, let's so kind we, of go into that a little bit, you know, we'll yeah. kind of break down some of the stuff we were mentioning. So kind of mentioned, you know, Web3 and blockchain. So kind of how does it fit into the video game industry and, you know, how did you kind of first get involved in it? And I guess for everyone out there, you know, what's Web2, what's Web3, like what are all these buzzwords that people throw around? Yeah. Okay. So let's, maybe we'll start at the beginning. Um, so basically Web3 is a way for computation to happen uh, in a, across a lot of different computers, basically. And what, so it's decentralized. Um, and it uses cryptography in order to do this. But in Web 2, for example, Cat Game, all the computation is happening on the servers. If you play Cat Game, I can just go in and I can just delete your account if I wanted to. I could uh, take all your coins away from you. I can change things however I want, right? And, and that's not very good for, uh, it's not very good for the gamer, uh, but more importantly, it means that there's no, there's, there's no way to really assign, um, like to ease, I wouldn't say there's no way, but it's not easy to assign financial value to the items on the server because it's really just up to us. Right. And so. Um, by having this decentralized system, what it means is, and, and we just did this recently, actually, uh, you can put out items even before the game is launched and people will buy and sell and trade those things. Um, and this is like, this is all, people have always wanted to do this. You've seen this with people trading their WoW characters. In MapleStory, I paid like a hundred bucks for a Zakam helm and someone had to literally log into my account to get it for me. <laughs> um, and so you see a lot of this stuff happen previously there's the demand for it but the technology just made it so it wasn't it's just always hard to do and always had a bunch of asterisks and felt dodgy so now how that integrates into gaming i'd say like i'd argue right now it actually doesn't do it very well i think that there's almost no 
Web3 games or no games that have really nailed this integration of, uh, of the blockchain. And that's actually pretty normal because it's very new. If you think about what happened with, uh, with mobile gaming, when it first came out, like you remember those games like Doodle Jump and Fruit Ninja, like that Fruit kind of Ninja, thing. Fruit Ninja, yep. Yeah, where are they today, right? Like uh, at, at the beginning, people were just like, mobile, you can swipe. So let's make right. games Temple about swiping. Wand. Yeah, exactly. So there were all these games that were just like, oh, let's use the most primitive form of this interface, which is swiping. But then after a couple of years, it turned out that the real fun and innovation in mobile games wasn't the fact that it had a touch screen. It was that you could pick it up and play it for five minutes at any point. And so you got this change that happened from something like Age of Empires to something like uh, uh, Clash of Clans. They're conceptually very similar games. You're kind of building up an army, you're going out and attacking, you know, you get attacked sometimes, but mechanically they're very different. And when, when you get this, and then you also had the in-app purchase, that was a really big thing. And so, whereas with Age of Empires, you're kind of playing it um, for an hour maybe, and then that's it. Clash of Clans, you're kind of constantly playing for 10 years, maybe. And so there was this real meaningful change that happened where we saw this, uh, this complete shift in how games were designed and how games were updated and the relationship between game developers and their communities. Totally different in mobile free-to-play to how it was previously. And so I think we're just right now with Web3 at that very, very nascent stage. The stuff that we're seeing, like Axie and some of these other ones that have come out, Top Shots, it's kind of like the swiping and the doodle jumps, right? Like the, the Fruit Ninja, the doodle jumps, that kind of thing. And we are going to get the Clash Royale. We'll get the Candy Crush. We'll get the Genshin Impact. <laughs> but it's, we have to actually do enough cycles and, and just have people figure out what these fun, interesting mechanics are. And so that's really where we're playing now with, especially with dimensionals, you know, we're, we're not coming in and saying, we're going to build what's already been built. We're not going to try to build Axie infinity 2.0. We're not going to try to take minor monsters or cat game and just add in a very light blockchain integration. We're trying to find those golden mechanics that will completely change gaming and, uh, and, Build, find as many of those as possible and make the game as fun as possible because of those. And I think that's the real opportunity here, you know? So I wouldn't even look to the past to describe what Web3 gaming is because it just doesn't exist yet. We're only just starting to build it. So what kind of trends do you kind of see on the horizon? What is it going to take to kind of fix what's going on out there? What suggestions do you have to, you know, kind of hone in on this a little? Yeah. So maybe we can start by talking about what's wrong with crypto and why everyone hates it and why the, NF the NFTs is such a dirty word. And, you know, for a long time, I was kind of actually in that, in that camp as well. And it's, it's not hard to be, right? Like if you were around in 2021 and you saw this, it's like annoying to see people making all this money and then kind of like when people lose all of it, you're like, well, I knew it was a scam. And that's the truth. There were a ton of NFT scams, 
right? It was just like an unregulated market. People were saying, hey, buy this thing for $1,000. We're making 5,000 of them and it's gonna go up in price. And they all, pretty much all of them went to zero. There were some that didn't, Azuki didn't, Bored Apes didn't, but there were a lot that did, right? And so I think people are just kind of scarred from that. But when you deconstruct that and you think about, well, what was actually happening there? These things were just empty promises from people who had never built games or never really done anything like this. There was just like people go and just put a roadmap and be like, look, and, and the people that were buying into it kind of knew that it was this maybe unspoken secret that people were just like, well, yeah, you know, it's probably not going to go anywhere. I really love the project though. The artwork really speaks to me. Yeah, exactly. Or they're like, I think this is going to make me money. There's a lot of speculation, right? Like a lot of people who are like, I don't really believe it, but I'm going to put money in because I think other people are going to believe it and then I'll sell. <laughs> uh, so that happened a lot. And, and when you th now, now think about games and think about like Minecraft or Fortnite or, or even cat game. I've been around close to a decade. They are engaging in the case of Minecraft and Fortnite, like collectively over a hundred million people every month. Um, might even be more actually. And, uh, and, and so there are people who are already spending all their time and a lot of money on these games. And so now when you compare that to these just empty promises, right? You can see how if you were to combine, if you were to add in uh, these financial, the, this financial ability to trade and buy and sell and stuff into a project that actually really captures people's attention and already people are spending money on, it's going to look very, very different. It's, it's not going to be at all the same. So I think that's the first thing that people just have to realize when we think about it. Don't like, it's, it's almost, it's almost insulting to think of the prior NFT projects as uh, even remotely comparable to, to game developers. And game developers, they're always the one to always the ones to come in and pioneer this stuff, right? Every time there's a new technology, the game developers are at the forefront. They're finding the fun, they're testing it, they're, they're making it cool. They're figuring out what's going on. It's not the people who are just uh, uh, making empty promises. Definitely. So let's kind of talk a little about the video game development process. And what have you kind of learned from it? And what kind of advice do you have for any you know developer starting out there, working on new projects and learning the space? Yeah. The game development process is hard. Um, it's, it's really, really challenging game games. Um, when I describe it to people, I ask them to like take out their phone and look at the, the lock screen, like the black lock screen. And now what you have to do is you have to imagine colors and interactions and sounds that will fill that screen so that people want to spend hours a day on it, right? Like that's really, really challenging. It's, it's hard to even think about where to start. And so a lot of people where they start is just by the, their own experience. You know, they'll play a bunch of stuff and they'll find what they find fun. And then they'll start to kind of like rehash that in, in games. But what happens is you quickly realize 
being like game game development is the intersection of so many different art forms it's the art form of uh well literally art right like illustration animation storytelling uh game design which is its whole thing like making sure that people have this experience over the course of years uh that that evolves um there's uh, there's this like a huge amount that go the UX design, right? Where to put the buttons, <laughs> like that the economy design. Uh, there's so much that goes into this. And all of those things have to come together uh, perfectly in order to feel like a, like a really, really polished, fun, engaging game that you want to play for hours. And so how to, how to get started with that? I think the... It's, it's kind of like any creative medium. You just got to do reps. Um, like I started early and I've, I just made as many games as I possibly could. Uh, I, when I was in high school doing the flash games, there were like these game jams and they're like a week weekend long. And I used to stay up the whole weekend every time this would be at least once a month. And sometimes by the end of it, I'd have a game that I put online. Sometimes I wouldn't. And I would just constantly be making something and more than just making it, I'd like try to put it in the hands of people who are actually going to play it and then and see what they thought. And I think that the biggest challenge with someone like getting into the industry and starting to, starting to play around is that um, they, 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 they don't ship enough. Like you really have to just make a, a ton of stuff. It really helps to be a programmer now because, um, like, a, it, that's that's kind of probably the most challenging bit. You can get different. Like, the Unity is really, really great. You can get assets in the Unity asset store and drop them in. But if you want to design the game that the way that you like as a as an individual or maybe a small team, it really helps to learn how to program. But you can do that with with uh, AI now, right? Like, uh, I, I'm dude. I'm using. AI every day. I'm using uh, GPT to learn new programming languages, um, learn Solidity for the blockchain. Uh, I learned uh, C Sharp for the first time earlier in this year. And it, it took me no time at all. It's never been a better time to learn how to program. So I think the barrier to entry of making games is really going down. And the best advice is to just do it as much and as often as you can. And then as you go and as you ship more and more of these, you slowly start to take on bigger and bigger projects. And that's been my trajectory. So just every time we've done a new project has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger until now with Dimensionals, this is a project that's enormous because we're not just doing a, a like very, very big game. We're also doing like the animation and we're doing the, uh, the NFTs and we're doing uh, toys. So yeah, I think that's, that's the only way you start small, you ship a lot, and then you just gradually increase in scope. Definitely. I think that's some amazing advice. So kind of where do you see the trends going in, you know, the web three gaming? Is there anything that you think, is it more of the Axie Infinia? Is it more, you know, earning like, you know, different cards and playable characters and be able to resell them in this kind of formal market? Where do you see it yeah. going? So I think like, and maybe I'm biased here. Mino as a company has always been about 
games where you collect stuff. And I've always loved that. You know, I've loved collecting Pokemon. I love right, the gotta catch them all uh, philosophy. Right, exactly. And and also even cards though. Like I, I played this game, Duel Masters, Wizards of the Coast card game, had like five thousand cards, like so many hollow foils. Um, and I think that the real innovation with Web3 is that that industry, which is a kind of a niche, like this collector, uh, collector industry just got so much cooler. You go to these conventions and you see people, ha- it's actually cool. You can go on like TikTok or, or YouTube, look up like Pokemon card trading up and you just see people come in and there's, they go to these conventions. There's like hundreds of people, all of whom have thousands of cards. They all have the, like the super hollow foil ones. These things are worth somewhere between like a hundred to like $10,000 for the rarest ones. Um, and that experience with, uh, with NFTs just got way cooler because to trade that in, with Pokemon cards or any of these other cards, magic cards, you got to go to one of these conventions or you got to go through eBay and wait for shipping. But I could go buy uh, one of our Genesis stones right now on OpenSea. It takes me literally 10 seconds. Um, and, and, so, and not only that, but these assets actually are accruing a lot of value. Um, and so building a game that is centered around this idea of collecting, especially collecting characters, you can do so much more cool stuff. And I, I think the, so speaking generally about the trends, we are going to, we already have, and we will continue to move away from this idea that you can sit down and play a crypto game for eight hours and earn money and earn like a salary. Like that's, that was the play to earn uh, vision that Axie Infinity promised. And it just, it doesn't exist anymore. Not even Axie is pitching that. Um, instead, what I think we'll see is these people treating these collections like investments. And we're going to start to see some really interesting ways in which if you are a big collector of this, you can, you have like a lot of power in the gaming world, right? One of the biggest trends we've seen, well, there's two really, really big, important trends uh, that we've seen over the last decade. One is this emergence of, of guilds very strongly. This happened a lot in free-to-play. It was kind of started in, in, in WoW. Um, this idea that you get together with a group of like 30 to 50 people and together you compete against these other guilds. It's almost in every free-to-play game. It's yeah, even Alliance game. Wars and Marvel Contest of Champions that I play. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so fun. It's like that's the ultimate form of gaming, in my opinion. Teaming up with a bunch of people, building relationships, building friends, competing on a team against others. Um, so that's one trend. And the other trend is this idea of streaming. And whereas guilds are kind of like many-to-many, it's like my team versus your team, streaming is one to many and i think that what we'll see in in those like really really uh intense i guess maybe that's the right word in these this like intense form of multiplayer we're going to start start to see a new category of gamer which is the investor these people will be folks who uh can essentially fund these guilds or fund these streamers uh, because 
they have these they have this collection of nfts and the collection of nfts is generating assets like if i have my collection of dimensionals um, it's going to start to generate meaningful in-game items that i can distribute right uh, but i have to have the collection <laughs> and that's so that's that's the hard bit and so we'll start to see these incredible games where like you can come in as effectively an investor, you can buy up portions of the meaningful portions of the collection, but in a specific way to almost like build a deck. And then from that collection, I'm going to start to accrue uh, essentially these spawned assets be just because I have the collection. Like Zed's run kind of. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's going to be crazy in that. This is this is an innovation that you can only do on chain and you can't do off chain because so with our Genesis Stone collection, which is out now, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll just spend a, a second talking about dimensionals and, and what dimensionals yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to hear more about this so everyone out there can check it out and learn more. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think people will kind of understand why this is something that really is special because of Web3. So our first game, Minor Monsters, you collect monsters. Cat game, you collect cats. Dimensionals, you collect heroes. This thing is kind of like Marvel meets Pokemon in some way. So it's a set in a universe that's got hundreds of different dimensions. And throughout all those dimensions, there are these ancient relics, these Genesis stones that have been scattered. And they were like scattered, they were created and scattered billions of years ago. No one knows who did it or who created them. But what's happened is as civilization has formed in each of these dimensions, people have started to find these stones. And they've when they touch the stone, when they activate it, they turn into a dimensional. So they gain these like really cool superpowers and they're able to travel between dimensions. And then all the dimensionals, they as they become dimensionals, they get sucked into Rift Zero, sorry, Dimension Zero which is like the home of all the dimensionals and the home of the dimensional army. And so you're collecting all of these dimensionals to build out the full dimensionals army. And you then have to take squads from that army and go through the rift, which is kind of like the, the connection between the different dimensions, fight the specters who are the evil kind of a void guys and, and save the other dimensions and dimensionals. Um, and so if you imagine like, uh, you imagine just, uh, and I, I wish I could show you all the podcast, people have to go and uh, check it out, but you know, we have, for example, the shadow dimension, we've got this really cool sort of ghost Raven with telekinesis powers called shade strike. We have, uh, the air dimension, Celestia, and we have Thundergust, who's this like big Griffin and we have Celestorm, who's this kind of like a princess bird-like character. You have the fire dimension where you have Mag Mama, who's this like big tank lava woman. And you have, uh, uh, we're actually still naming this guy, but like a really awesome smoke ninja. And so all the different dimensions have these different superheroes. And you can kind of see how it, it maps approximately to Pokemon. There's a bunch of these things and you're collecting them. Um, so, okay. So that kind of sets the path for what Dimensionals is. It's going to be a cross-platform game. You'll be able to play the game without 
even ever hearing about NFTs if you don't want to. You know, it's, we really don't force it on people. But as you get really deep into it and we get to the point what we were talking about before, you're going to start to realize, okay, actually, it pays to have these things. Like, this is really cool and really valuable. So, yeah, that's, that's dimensionals. Um, so how do you go about kind of marketing? Is it going to be like, you know, doing influencer driven stuff or just more, you know, NFT crypto people, web three, like where do you kind of see as like, you know, demographic and user base? Yeah. So this is, I'm going to rewind for one, for one second, because this will really help explain the marketing piece of this. So, so all we've done so far, we haven't made that many announcements. Uh, all we've done so far is we've shipped this NFT uh, called Genesis Dimensional Stone. And this is, as part of the law, this is like one of those 1,000 stones that got distributed throughout the multiverse. And this thing creates dimensionals, right? So if you were to go and buy one and own it, what's going to happen is as we start to release these dimensional NFTs, you're going to get them all for free. Uh, right now, these things are trading for around $3,000, somewhere between like uh, somewhere around two ETH they've been trading. Um, and so what this means <clears throat> is that by owning this asset, you're basically, it's like imagine owning a Pokemon card and then every Pokemon card that comes out, you just get in the mail. <laughs> um, and they're all expensive. So, okay. So how, how I'll, I'll tie this back into... Um, first, uh, first the gameplay and then marketing. So what this means is that um, it, this is something that's unique to Web3. You can own a Pokemon card, um, but in Web3, what you can do is based, it's programming, right? So we can create these really interesting mechanics around ownership. So for example, if you own one of these things, then you being guaranteed to get future ones. That's like the most primitive version of it. Uh, but there's even more cool stuff. If you own one of the Genesis stones and you own an Eve, which is kind of like a cute mascot, um, then the, what, the, what you get from the airdrops, like the, the free cards you're getting, they'll be rarer. You'll have a better chance of getting rarer ones. We can do stuff like we can, if you have a collection of character uh, dimensionals in your, uh, in your wallet, you can stake them, which means you kind of like send them away on a mission and you can't access them um, for say a week or 30 days or something. But then when they come back, you get a really cool reward, but you need to have certain characters to do that. And so because all of these things have actual real world value, you know, you can, if you own one of these things, you can trade it right now for $3,000, like in less than 10 seconds, it really doesn't take long. Because these things are liquid and they have real world value, all of a sudden these game mechanics are so much more interesting and compelling. So given all of that, um, I, marketing. This really, really changes uh, marketing and distribution. So after launching, uh, within a month, we had 250,000 followers on Twitter. We have an extremely engaged audience in our Discord. We haven't even announced the game yet, like which is the, the craziest thing. We've announced we're making the game. We haven't even showed people what it's like. I'm, this is happening very soon, so I'm really excited for that because <laughs> I know people are going to love it. But 
we got to this huge number of Twitter followers because A, we were able to say, well, look, this is Mino, this is what we've done. This is approximately what we're building. We released a trailer. But if you want to get in and get one of these stones for free, then you got to follow us and retweet and start okay, engaging with Okay, so you us. got some follow free stones out there. Are there any left? And nope. you know, all the infinity stones have been collected. They've all been collected. So this was like this big month of my life where we're like, we're going to give away these things for free. And then right away after we minted them, they shot up to like $3,000, right? So for the people that own them, um, who we gave them away to, we, we made them a lot of money. Um, we didn't make any money doing this. We're not like those paid mints where it's like they sell it for a thousand bucks and then it goes to zero and they just make the money. We've actually made very little money on those stones. We just made like tens of thousands in royalties. Um, and so it's, but what we did get is we got a really, really engaged community. And that's the important thing. And that's, that's like a very, very necessary ingredient for building games. Um, so the, the marketing actually stops being a function of how much money are you giving to Facebook or Apple or Google, which it wasn't cat game or some stuff. streamers. Yeah. Well, actually streamers don't even get that much, man. Like streamers, it's, that's a hard life. I think actually that is the opportunity. I think there's, I think that what web three is going to do is one, it will mean that instead of instead of paying Facebook or Apple or Google to find a user, you'll find them just by announcing yourself and saying, we're going to give away some of these, uh, some of our items. Let me know if you want one. <laughs> and then people will kind of gravitate towards you. You'll find your true fans. And then secondly, I think the downstream effect is that what web three is really good at is cutting out the middleman because, you know, all in-app purchases, are uh, taxed by Apple, all uh, user acquisition goes through Apple or Google or Facebook or one of these networks. Um, Web3, it's all decentralized. So I can give away items to people without anyone else having anything to do with it in exchange for them following me on Twitter. And then I have a direct relationship with them. And same is true for streamers. Because we're dealing with financial assets now, right? And you can kind of do anything with them because it's programmatic there is a huge opportunity to completely reshape the streaming industry. And I know streamers right now are like kind of hesitant around NFTs. I think that's going to change, but you're starting to see some, uh, some like for example, Dr. Disrespect launching Dead Drop, which has NFTs in it. We're going to see this adoption. And when that happens, streamers are going to be loaded. It's going to be like the best job of all time because these guys will be able to play the game be a, have a huge presence in the game, own the assets, um, and you can kind of directly do royalties and all. So they're like investors and rev share. And it's, it's that I think is something no one's talking about, but man, if you're like 10 years old right now, it's probably <laughs> becoming a right, So the next generation, I'm going to be doing a lot of blockchain games. Is that what you're saying? I think old games will be blockchain games. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, it's, it's not, it's not really like mobile versus console, right? Because the difference is mobile versus console versus PC games. You can't really do both of them at once. 
right? Like you kind of either have to be playing a mobile game or on your console. But all three of those could have a blockchain backend. And so it's, it's not really like you wouldn't be playing a blockchain game. You'd just be playing a game. But you would be, through the act of playing, earning and owning these assets that you can go and sell and trade and, and do cool other stuff with to get more of them. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I, I, and I think the real winners here will be the streamers who can get a big audience, who can acquire these assets in the game and who can basically, um, uh, and, and that just totally changes the revenue model for them. These guys could be some of the wealthiest people alive, actually, if, if they do it well. Well, luckily, I work with a lot of those kind of people, and that's the general direction. So it seems like we're hitting the nail on the head here. So to kind of bring this towards the end, you know, what's your favorite part about working in the video game industry? I love making and playing games. <laughs> um, making games is the most satisfying thing I've ever been able to do. Um, like I get to wake up every day and you know, the company is pretty big. Uh, I work directly with the team building dimensionals every day. Um, you know, especially the game team. I'm very, very involved there. And I basically just get to wake up and they, the team records these, these loom videos. Um, and they show me the, their progress every day. And I just get to see this thing come to life. This like collective imagination of, of the team um, just coming to life. And it's so cool. You know, it's like you're building a whole other world. Uh, and so when I was eight and playing Pokemon, I had this awesome experience of like, wow, I can, I could, I could just like go to sleep. I'd not even go to sleep. I could just like, daydream Pokemon and it was better than reality. It was better than school. I could like play the games, watch the show. I entered this universe. Um, and that kind of wore off a bit as an adult. I think for a lot of people it does like the magic of being a kid and playing games go dies a little bit, but making it has brought it entirely back. You know, I'm probably more immersed than I was when I was eight playing Pokemon. It's just so fun, man. It's such a such an awesome experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Amazing. So this was so great. You know, we're really excited about what you guys are working on. So where can everyone, um, you know, learn about the games? When is, you know, the new title coming out? Give everyone, you know, some information. Yeah. So the best way to learn everything is go follow me on Twitter, which is Sasha McKinnon, and also Dimensionals, which is at Dimensionals RPG. You can go to dimensionals.com. The website's getting an upgrade as we speak. <laughs> it's starting to release more and more information. Um, and the games, you know, we're, we're actually doing a kind of interesting rollout of the game. We're going to be doing a, a handful of these like small alpha events leading up to the full release. So we're gearing up right now, man. It's going to happen soon and it's going to be really, really fun. Awesome. So everyone make sure to check it out. It definitely sounds like it's you want to get in on the beginning of this and see where it all goes. And thanks everybody sure. again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.